Gray. Hey. Gray, I'm so excited to have you on season two of the Frontier Podcast. I am very excited to be here. It's cool being on the guest side of the equation. Hell yeah. Um, it's also fun because I feel like with these staff interviews, I am learning so much about everybody on the team. We talk every day. We, you and I have been working together for four years, and I feel like there's still just so much cool stuff we haven't talked about. I had a conversation with Wade last week, and I learned that he was a college water skier, like a competitive water skier. Yeah. You knew this? Yeah. Only because he floated like a screensaver at some point of him like on a slalom course. And I was like, is that you? But he never would have mentioned it otherwise. But we ended up talking about these things that um, these man-made lakes. I was like, where do you, where'd you ski or whatever? Yeah. I didn't know about this. There are hundreds of like man-made ski lakes all over the country. Really? And like when you're sort of a pro or a teaching pro, a lot of the sort of the semi-pros make a lot of their money doing like... Um, like summer courses and stuff. So they'll just hop around to these different man-made lakes and they're awesome. Like, and, and teach people how to do slalom courses and competitively ski and all that kind of stuff. It's like a whole thing that I didn't know existed. I had no idea that existed either. And I feel like I grew up probably closer to like lakes and water sports and a lot of other people. So I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit embarrassed that I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, He's got a map. He does. Ask him about his map. Okay, yeah. maybe we'll put that yeah. in the show notes. Do you have any surprising <laughs> yeah, yeah. previous uh, professional stints that I don't know about other than being in a band? Not that I'm going to talk about. Nope. What? Come on. <laughs> no, every, everybody's got a life before their current life. Well, when, you, when you're my age, you have several. Yeah. But like, yeah. Um, you're not old, by the way, Gray. <laughs> <laughs> enough. Old enough. Old enough to have several phases. Yeah. I had... I, it's, it's relevant because it dovetails nicely in, into what I do now. Like I, I started out moving to Nashville to pursue music like everyone that moves to Nashville pretty much and um, and did that for a while and ended up uh, getting in. This was early, this was a long time ago. So this was like early days when artists were first starting to think about like electronic press kits and like their web presence. No, no one had a website, mm -hmm. like we're barely any websites, you know, but um, so that kind of drew me into technology and gave me a nice jumping off point out of the music industry, which is going to be a dead end, right. you know, because, yeah. because it is, but yeah. So, um, you know, there, there was definitely a former, uh, rock and roll life, um, before technology, but that's been a good while. That's an interesting segue. I hadn't, um, I hadn't thought about how you got into tech before and it's, I was actually just having a conversation with a friend who was probably working in music around the same time. And he had a pretty high level position at one of the publishers here, but he was doing all the print packaging, like all the CDs. Yep. And he saw the writing on the wall. He's like, I have got to get out of this. Yeah. And now he's like a real estate mogul. So I'm glad that everybody found their way kind of out of that world and into something that, that was good for them. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's interesting because most people that you talk to that are still around town uh, and and maybe your friend is in a similar position. Like there are a lot of people in music that were basically generalists, yeah. you know, and they were drawn to music and they wanted to make a run at music because it was interesting to them. But you know, their aptitudes or talents, you know, could be 
applied in many ways, mm. you know, and, you know, for me, that happened to be, you know, sort of a penchant for technology and an interest there. And that drew me into the studio, which drew me into the internet, which, drew, you know, like, that was that path. Um, yes, and it's through music, but I was never going to be a musician, like, right? That wasn't my, yeah. that wasn't my core thing. It was, it was a, it was something that was sort of adjacent to, to music that ended up being the thing. And I think a lot of people are like that. A lot of people here, especially in town or in music industry towns, do something else starting in music, but music is a great jumping off point for doing lots of other things. Yeah. I want to put a pin on in this and circle back to it in like 30 seconds. I think probably to start, it's going to be relevant for folks to know what you do here at Gun.io. So what's your job? What do you do every day? I try and guide the product um, to be super useful to clients, be super useful to talent, be super useful for our internal teams. Um, to you know, help companies and 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 developers find one another. Um, so like the the perfect gig, the perfect hire uh, is sort of our north star, and so everything that we do is sort of aligned around trying to make that happen. Um, and you know, we can get into the nuts and bolts of like how we do that and like what parts of the application. If you want to to dive deep, but yeah, my sole focus is on building our software to support all parts and all parties, uh, staff tools talent and clients. Yeah. I think of, when I think about your role, I think of the animated, um, how it works videos that you see everywhere, where it's kind of like the inside of some machine and you're following like a ping pong ball as it goes through mazes and whatever. And it's all about kind of like getting everything on the right path and filtering out things that aren't, aren't relevant. And I feel like I feel like that's really your job. You've got so many inputs, so many requests from people, whether it's our users on the outside, right? Like our clients, our developers, or our internal users, which are our staff. It's not as probably like fun and forward facing as uh, it seems sometimes when it's like, oh, cool. Gray just gets to think about like building cool stuff. It's really, <laughs> I imagine that filtering mechanism is hard sometimes kind of deciding what to build and how to group things and what the value is. It's certainly the challenging part of it, but that's also like why you do it, you know, to be um, that conduit between mm-hmm. something that could be and then shaping that into something that ultimately exists is super gratifying. Yeah. And so the challenge of everything that you said is, is, is spot on and, and you do a lot of that. And, but, but I have always been sort of drawn to, you know, things that feel like puzzles, you know, and making sense of, of things and translating things, you know, not to dwell on the music thing, but that was a big part of what music was for me. It was in the studio and it was taking a, a a song and assembling it. And, and at the end, you take these disparate parts and you iron them out and you craft something that in the very end is sort of the sum of all the inputs. And so, so the product to me is sort of that same part of our, of my brain where you take a lot of inputs and try and make sense. What's up y'all. Hey dude. Sorry for joining late. I, um, I, I wanted to be here for this one because this is a fun yeah. one. So sweet. Tasia, I'm glad to have you here because I feel like Gray, similar to Wade, has just like a really fun professional story of how he landed here with us. So we're going to dig into it. Yeah, totally. He's one of the the Emma Mafia as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's circle back to that. We started getting into 
kind of how Gray found himself in technology, which obviously led him here eventually to Gun.io, but there was a, a decent chunk of time in between. So Gray, take us back to, you know, you kind of found a path away from the music industry following this line of, of tech. And where did that take you? What was your first stop? Uh, my first stop was um, a, a new startup, sort of a 10-person startup um, in the email marketing space called Emma. And it was a local company. And I didn't know what email marketing was. And most of the world <laughs> didn't know what email marketing was what at that time. point. What a time. Yeah, right? I mean, it was, yeah, these are early days. I mean, people didn't even know what an iPhone was, much less what email yeah. marketing was. So like... There was constant contact that was kind of out there, but it was a little bit like, mm, I don't know, it's kind of hard to use, et cetera, et cetera. So a couple of guys, um, uh, Clint Smith and Will Weaver, started this company sort of on a whim in Nashville, which you didn't do right. <laughs> also, because the technology scene was not a scene at all. It was just a couple of dudes that um, met some developers and had some ideas and, hey, we can make a dent in the space because it's the, the incumbent is not good and there's tons of headroom here. Um, and we want to create a brand. And that, you know, the, and the, the brand element of that was, was an important through line with, with that, that whole company. Um, and taught me a lot just about, you know, the, the intersection of technology and brand and brand positioning and where those things need to, to complement one another. Um, so they decided to, to start this company. I jumped on board super early and we were all just wearing a bunch of hats and stuff like you do in startups and, um, eventually found my way sort of sitting beside one of the co-founders every day thinking about what the next version of the product was going to be because the, the 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 version that was out in the world in production that people were paying for was kind of a first iteration <laughs> it was like yeah oh people like this great let them keep buying it oh but there's some stuff we got to work out over here about what this next version is going to be so he and I worked together for a couple of years and, and sort of developed the notion of, of what product was um, at the company. We, we had some really talented engineers who were um, grinding every day to, to build and, and maintain the product, but there was there were to the technology, but there was really no function thinking about what the next thing was, the next horizon out or, or what the user experience was or how even to get feedback. So, um, he and I sort of laid a path to to create a bona fide product organization, and and over the years, um, we were able to do that and bring some some talented people on. Which you know, at at some point, we sort of had our bearings, um, and that gave us the opportunity to actually start thinking even further out. So, I started essentially what's a kind of a skunk works type of idea, um, where it was sort of you know product development that was way out in front and it was in an innovation space and it was what's happening in adjacent places in our industry where's the industry going i mean this is a this is the beginning of really social media and and brands starting to use social media in a, in a meaningful way what does that mean how does that intersect with email marketing mm. those types of questions that weren't about like hey what's the next incremental feature that we're going to build or, or maintain or fix um, and that was really, that's been meaningful for, for me as a through line throughout my career is being able to, to help navigate where things are going and, and, and taking market inputs and taking, see, reading tea leaves and trying to figure out how technology is going to play a role a year and a half, two years, five years down the road. 
you know, it, and, and eventually, you know, I, 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 when I left Emma, it was those, that six, eight, 10 years of learning in product that really, that was the impetus for the next phase of what I did, which was hop into as a consultant to other companies that were at that earlier phase. Now that Nashville kind of had a little bit of momentum and there were more startups around, uh, a lot more companies needed help getting over that first or second hurdle. So I was able to take all of those learnings from um, how to build a product team, how to think about the intersection between engineering and product, how to how to build and uh, realistic roadmaps because mm-hmm. my first roadmaps were a disaster, <laughs> and and then thinking about how that dovetails with business strategy because technology enabled businesses or people building SaaS products. I mean, it is the business; it is what people are paying for. So there is a fundamental intersection there, and so helping uh, other startups navigate those first couple phases is what uh, the, the, the next phase was for me. And, and Gunn happened to be one of those, the client. Uh, five years ago now, met Tasia uh, at a coffee shop and, you know, you let me know what uh, you guys were up to in the vision. And I was like, this is A, super cool. So let's figure out a way to work together. Do you remember what coffee shop we met at? It was in Germantown. It was... Uh, Steadfast? No, it wasn't Steadfast. It was right down. It was right there near that 321 right. pizza thing. It was, it was yeah, probably of, Red Bicycle. It was Red Bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. A little picnic table out in front. Yeah. That's hilarious because, Greg, that's where you, you gave me my offer when I got hired was a little picnic table in front of Red Bicycle. <laughs> that's exactly right. Very good through line. <laughs> we should put a plaque there or something. We really should. <laughs> this is where Gunda and I always built this little picnic table. And so one thing led to another and, you know, we started thinking about who we can bring on and you came along, Faith, and (laughs) then we started building websites and, you know, then it was a product and now we're here and it feels like a year, but it's actually been quite a few. So it's been a long time. Yeah. There's so much, like I can see how, if you think of yourself as a T-shape, not just like marketer, but professional, you're kind of deep, obviously in product but I feel like there's so much at the top of that T. Like I go to you for advice about everything growth and marketing related. So I'm curious if you had to kind of categorize yourself, if there's like one kind of area of expertise that you think you're strongest in, what would that be? I think it's probably product strategy because that really is the intersection of all the things. I I don't love it. And I don't, I, I don't, I don't really like that phrase because it kind of also doesn't mean anything. Um, <laughs> but, but in if being charitable with the phrase, I do think it's important. Um, and, and because what, if you're doing things right at the product level, then you are reflecting the needs of it, the opportunity in the market. You're, you're reflecting, uh, you know, solving problems. You reflect, you're creating value. And for us, that is, there are a couple of stakeholders in that. Um, you're, you're doing things that are unique and differentiated in the marketplace that draw people to you. You're helping support a brand. Like, so, so all of those things, if you're doing product well, have hooks into all other parts of the business, right? It, it informs packaging it informs how you sell and informs how you position, you know, and some of it just so happens that I've been around long enough faith that, you know, I've had to dip my toes in, in a little bit deeper into the weeds in a couple of different areas, marketing and sales, et cetera, to kind of understand the lay of the land at an operational level. But I think it all, the understanding really stems from how to create value, you know, and yeah. then how to translate that into software. So, you know, a lot about 
um, a lot of things. And you've worked in different facets of the organization, not just ours, but, you know, any tech startup. What's your learning process and how did you acquire the, the expertise, you know, breadth and depth? Did you learn by doing? Did you seek counsel? Did you have a peer network? Did you read a lot? Yeah, all, all, it's a great question. And it's all of that. My personal opinion is, is you, you kind of need all of that. You need those inputs um, because you learn different things from different sources. You know, er, early on, you know, this was, you know, when I started in technology, I mean, the, the Agile mm. Manifesto had just been written. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, so so there, there are er, those early days were about sort of building a community almost around these core principles. And what what does the next era of software development look like? And what role does, does product play in that? And can we do things better? And how do we not legacy waterfall enterprise? And how can we, you know, all of these were new questions. And so building a community, having mentors, um, you know, either either local or online mentors, you know, er, early days, uh, Steve Blank and the Eric Reese's of the world and that were that were really spearheading some of these early movements um, were were critical. And then the complimentary stories and and postmortems from people who had either been successful or failed were it was a critical part of just consuming what, you know, beyond my own experience, how can I learn quicker? You had to learn through the experience of others. And so, you know, early days was I still have it. Like my list of, of like bookmarks um, is l like a thousand entries. It would be like an interesting archive actually to yeah. go back and, and check that out from like the very early days. It's like, it's a thing. We should do you a know? blog post on that and then put it in the show notes. I think that would be really, really cool. Even like, cause you know, you've been doing this for years throughout your whole professional career. And so it'll be really interesting to think about bits of that that are no longer relevant, that have been proven wrong, that we now have a better way to do it. That'd be really cool. Let's do that. Yeah, I'll curate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Deal. Like, I, I remember when we were first started working together, what really struck me is like to the, the extent to which we shared like a common context and understanding already about like where the business needed to go and what we were trying to do with the business. That's actually what was like really, uh, I don't know, like comfort inducing. It's probably a better word for that. Comforting. Co comforting. There you go. Yeah. Because no, because to, to, <laughs> to your point in Nashville, yeah, right. this whole notion of like building a tech company trying to be capital efficient, trying to have the optionality to be venture backed at some point. Like that is actually, it's a fairly, uh, of all the possible business outcomes, that's like a really, it's like a niche within a niche, right? In terms of a strategy that you're trying to pursue. And, I, and I, there was like a sense of like, you know, maybe it's the ecosystem that Emma had maybe accidentally built by virtue of hiring and building the company that like, people like you exist here in a city like Nashville. That was like really, it was like really surprising. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. credit to Jumpstart and everybody else in the ecosystem too. That I remember that being like, holy shit, like I'm glad that we are working together. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you guys actually deserve the credit for that because I would I I was reacting to the to the way that you guys were already operating and and your sort of philosophical approach and building a solid business and and, and then thinking about you know funding and scale and all of that those sorts of things and you know especially at that time, dude, that was not true. That was not true. It was get funding first and figure out how to do something relatively cool later. That's where most startups fail is because they're they're not approaching it about they're they're pursuing an idea not building a business and you guys were already building a business so we were super aligned on okay let's let's keep that let's keep that intact yeah and then let's figure out ways to accelerate that but let's not let's not forget the fact that you guys have a a, a great yeah fundamental core business and 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 so to me it was something that um that alignment was because you were yeah. guys were already doing things right it's so funny to me. I feel like that belief about business, Gray, that you just described, like, let's build a solid business, kind of do like the super unsexy, like manual, just business doing. And then think about funding <laughs> is like, yeah. it's also that trickles down into how you think about product level decisions on the team. Um, right? Like, let's do it manually. Let's prove it out. Let's run kind of as an exper experiment-based company, and then we'll invest product and engineering resources in automating it. Um, so I think that's that probably makes you a good uh, product owner too. Well, thank you. <laughs> but that's but but you're right. Like that that um, that spirit, that through line of you know, I mean, going even going back to the agile thing, like the, the that whole principle was based on can you create something of value quickly, and and how quickly, and and the quickest you possibly can create some value, and then once you've proven that it's valuable, then do the next thing. And so, it's pragmatic. Um, and and to your point, sometimes it can feel a little bit like, hey, can we, you know, hit the gas a little? <laughs> so yeah, or what? But that is hitting the gas, yeah, because moving recklessly in the wrong direction is going to catch up with you. And so if, ultimately you, you, you do move more quickly when you can, you can build on the momentum of doing the right thing over and over. I'm curious um, if somebody's listening and they heard you describe kind of the role of a product strategist and they're like, man, that's what I want to do. That sounds really compelling to me. What advice would you have for somebody who who's getting into the work that you do in 2022, which is much different than at the precipice of like agile? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I would say don't try and become a product strategist. I would say <laughs> <laughs> run. <laughs> I would say get find a company that you believe in and you believe what the, and this, I'm not trying to be cheesy, but like it belief in, in what you're trying to accomplish. The vision of the company is super important because that's going to give you the motivation to go out and, and talk to customers. It's going to give you the motivation to study the industry, to see what's going on. And it's going to give you the opportunity to actually apply all of that learning in a practical way at the, at, at, at a, at a level of the company that you can see immediate out, output for because the, the problem with strategy is that it's vaporware a lot of times. It's mm -hmm. speculation. But being a product owner and, and being steeped in the discipline of doing that day to day and actually being able to, to see the result of your work uh, and, and, then to, and then to have that measurement and that feedback 
positive or negative feedback from from users, that's informed strategy because your your empathy and your intimate understanding about what creates value is the thing that's going to drive the strategy. So strategy is something that you get as a benefit mm. for being really good at at being a, a, a an on the ground product owner. Right, and working on something that gives you a lot of energy. Yeah. So one question is, how do you assess what company to work for? Like as a consultant? Yeah, as, as a consultant. And then how do you um, assess, or as a consultant, I guess it's actually more appropriate. Like how do you assess like what company to like consult with and partner with? Because it's not, right? Um, it, the relationship is a little bit different. But then also how do you assess what, um, you know, what company to actually go and build, you know, with the founding team, like what, especially as an experienced person, you know, you're kind of stepping into like, this company might be a clusterfuck or whatever. How do you like, what are some things that you think about? It has to start with the, with the, the founders or whoever's setting the vision for the company. You have to be aligned with that. And it has to be interesting to you, right? Like, I'm sure, I'm sure I could look at a business and an industry that I'm like healthcare. I'm not really interested in healthcare, but I could probably uh, sit down with for coffee with the CEO of a healthcare firm and be aligned with them about how they're thinking about their business. It's just not interesting. So, like to me, it being interested and, and aligned with the vision of the company is the the first thing to even and and then then you start actually. For me, it's like how what's what does this company look like without me in the mix? And what does it look like with me in the mix? And how much room is there for me to bring value to the table? Because ultimately that is, that's the thing that's going to be mutually beneficial. And, you know, it's going to keep me interested. It's also going to create value for the company and, you know, the relationship is going to, it's going to be good there. So sometimes I've found opportunities that for whatever reason, wasn't like firmly directly in, you know, my skill set or whatever it was, it was like, I, on paper, yes, but practically, you know, two or three months down the road, this is not going to be my sweet spot. And we're going to be looking for someone to replace me. So like, I, I'd rather just advise them to go find that person from the jump, you know, the interest and, and being able to actually have enough headroom to, uh, for what you bring to the table is, is critical from a consulting standpoint and and but then jumping into a team has uh you know it's it's everything about the team you know for for me because it, the level of commitment's obviously super different um and, and investment is super different and you know a, as a consultant you can work in in one department or even with with one person maybe even async to the business itself you know but to become a member of the company um you know, it's to me, it's all about the belief in the group of people that's being assembled to do the thing. Probably check the couple boxes already align with the founders, interesting work, but jumping in is all about, all right, well, who else is there? And how well does that team function as a team to align around the the, the common goal? And and that is, that's probably the hardest thing to do. Um, but that's the final checkbox for me um, is can I be a? Can I play a meaningful role in, on this team as a teammate? And then can I help shape um, who else we go get to help us accomplish what we're trying to do? I think often. I mean, we work with people who contract at businesses. That's our job. <laughs> so 
And it's really easy for us to tell when there's a business who has a need for a contractor, but they haven't done the pre-work of bringing in a consultant like you, where they really understand, like, here's the value we expect this person to drive. And I imagine that that's part of your calculation as well. And it, you kind of touched on it, right? Like, is my, is my expertise and my unique skill set a fit for what it is they actually need? And if the business business doesn't know what they need, then that's a pretty easy no, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. I can't tell you how many businesses I talk to. They're like, you know, we need help with sales. And it's right, like, we just need to like grow faster. Yeah, we need to but, make more money. Oh, but <laughs> right, exactly. Like, what business doesn't need more sales? Like, yeah. everyone always wants more sales, but that doesn't really tell you much of anything other than like we may need to drilled in here a little bit um, to your point of sales. Sales is a really big thing. And so like, what are you good at? What are you not good at? What's the market? Like it's the, it's the weedy stuff that really, you know, and, and I mean, that's true with, with all aspects of, uh, of any business, like generalizations are usually like you just haven't put the work in. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I mean, you touched on like product strategy. I think what made the, relationship um feel so good i think initially was that there was clearly an opening and a lack of at least on the existing team a lack of knowledge and experience around product strategy Mm. there there are a lot of ceos or founding team ctos who have strong opinions about product that probably actually like there's not enough actually cognitive or strategic room to have a fully fledged, sophisticated marketing uh, department, even let alone a product strategy and product function, right? It's like basically order taking on marketing or order taking on product or even order taking on roadmap, right? But that didn't exist here, actually. Like you, you guys kind of stood up both things. Uh, so you know, I don't know. Like that's that's probably unique. Maybe I think a lot of founders would have strong opinions about those things, but we certainly didn't. And I think it's worked. (laughs) I think building new things is, you know, it's ultimately about, you know, communication and, and transfer of ideas between people because people do all the things. And so if you can, if you can sort of have a vision for what you want the future to look like, then the the methodology or or how you would put them put the idea into a department who actually does that work it, it they're they're very similar you know it's just the skill set of the of the person that is executing the deliverable you know product strategy and marketing strategy and business strategy and for a technology business are uh, you know like I said before they to me they're they're so intertwined and they're in the Venn diagram is almost a circle the the question is less about strategy and more about like all right who's going to go do the thing that we want done and what skills does that require you know totally yeah yeah exactly well gray obviously is a great person to talk to about product strategy but also about uh music in nashville um hiring strategy all kinds of stuff so if you're if you want to get in touch with Gray, he's on Twitter sometimes, um, so you can find him there, and you can also find him 
here on the team at gun.io, get in touch and we'll make sure that you guys stay connected. Gray, thank you. I learned a ton, um, did not disappoint. Very interesting career arc and we're just thrilled to have you here too. Thank you. Um, I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. This is fun. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.